humble gathering tonight, but I know it pleases the Lord. I know it pleases the Lord that you would come out and worship Him tonight. It's a testimony to Him. It's a testimony to your friends and your neighbors. Um, it's a testimony to, to the demons. Um, it's a testimony. You know, it's a testimony that God's people, uh, humble as we are, gather in this redeemed garage. <laughs> and I know He delights in it. I mean, I know He does. It's just like Him to, to delight in, in something like that. So, you guys bless me. It was just, I don't know, I was moved while we were singing. It was a joy to, to sing praises, His praises with you. And, and uh, thank you, worship team, for leading us. Everybody has one of these. Uh, all I found out today, Google told me, we've crossed the 7 billion uh, barrier. There are now 7 billion of us on the planet. And we all have one of these. It's why we value the things that we value. It's why we pursue the things that we pursue. It's why we do the things we do. It's why we live the way we live. I have one. That's why I'm standing here preaching the Gospel to you. You have one. I trust. And that's why you're sitting out there listening to me preach the Word of God tonight. Of course, philosophers have a $3 word uh, for what I'm talking about. They call it the noetic structure. You have a noetic structure. Does anybody know what this word means? What this phrase means? Okay. It's a pretty cryptic phrase. You wouldn't know it unless you read, you read some philosophy and studied some philosophy. It basically, simply put, it just simply is your worldview. Your noetic structure is your worldview. It's what you believe is true. It's what you believe is false. That's what a noetic structure is. Here's a, a few random things that I believe to be true. Two plus two is four. How many of you agree? So we have this in common. Two plus two is four. Milan is 575 kilometers north of Rome. I know this is true. I looked it up. So I believe it to be true. Profiteroles are the best thing that men have ever invented. How many of you agree with that? Oh, of course. Come on. Paolo knows. Profiteroles. Do you know what a profiterole is? Oh, you must get one. They're little cream puffs with, with like chocolate on them. And, oh, man. They're little balls. They're like little bitty. Yeah, you've got to get one of these. Yeah, they'll, they'll drive you crazy. Karen has too many shoes. I know this is true. Because I look in her closet and half her shoes are in my closet. And I have no room for my shoes. So don't tell her I said she's not in here. Don't tell her I said that, but she has way too many shoes. Um, I'm pretty sure that growing my hair real long on this side of my head and combing it over on this side of my head is a bad idea. I know this is a bad idea. I've tried it. It's not good. Um, I know that the SEC is far superior to the Big Ten. Most of you don't know what I'm talking about. Josh knows what I'm talking about. I believe this to be true. Uh, now maybe something more substantive. I am not a grown-up germ. Macroevolution is not only a lie, it's stupid. I do not accept it. I do not find it credible. The complexity, beauty, and symmetry of the cosmos evidences a genius, an almighty creator. I believe this to be true. Absolute truth exists. Absolute, it's not relative, as we hear so often in this postmodern day. There is a God, and He made me. There is a God, and I am accountable to Him. 
This is in my noetic structure. This life is temporary. I will someday die. I know this to be true. I... Yeah, a brilliant guy said one out of one dies. It's true, right? We're all going to die. There is an afterlife. I tell you all the time, real Christians are supposed to be jazzed about heaven. They're supposed to be jazzed about the new heaven and the new earth. Are you jazzed about it? If you're not jazzed about it, something's wrong in your Christianity. You're supposed to be looking at it. You're supposed to be looking forward to it. There is an afterlife. I will see it. I will hear it. I will feel it. I will taste it. And it will be awesome. Because we will be with the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that during my life I have ignored, slandered, dishonored, and disobeyed my Creator God. I know that I desperately need a Savior. And I know I have one. I know I have one in the Lord. Philosophers, when they talk about the noetic structure, they use a house, a house as an analogy. In the grand scheme, when you're building a house, what color you paint the kitchen, it's not that big a deal, right? It really isn't that big a deal. What's the big deal if you're going to build a house? What's the big deal? The foundation. If the foundation is wrong, the house is not going to stand. You know, that's the fundamental of a noetic structure. That's what, that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. If I'm wrong about profiteroles, comb-overs, and the SEC, it doesn't matter. If I'm wrong about God, it matters forever, right? It matters forever. I've always been astonished at the number of adults that I encounter who have never given the reality of God any serious thought. This is unbelievable to me. I'm constantly astonished. Of course, I understand theologically that men, Romans chapter 1, they're suppressing the truth of God. They're pushing it down. Willful, disobe uh, willful unbelief is, I think, a good way to say it. They seem to have no interest in their origin, their purpose, or their destiny. I, again, I'm, I'm astonished at this reality. In their worldview, God is considered either inconsequential or peripheral. Their whole life is consumed with, to make the analogy, what color the kitchen is. They're not even consumed about the, they're not even concerned about the foundation, which is God. Not even cons uh, consumed about it, or excuse me, they don't even consider it. They either ignore God or they patronize Him. They either ignore Him or patronize Him. They've ignored the foundation. And as one theologian says, this is insanity. It's a top priority of this church. We're always just going to preach God, a huge God. I was uh, fellowshipping with a friend this, uh, this last week, and, and I told him, that's what we do at ICM. We preach a huge God. We want to get Him so big that we're willing to actually do Hebrews 11. We're, really actually, we're willing to go out into the world and and live a radical life of faith. We teach our children the ABCs of God. It's a study of the greatness and worth of God. We ask your children three questions. Who is God? What is God like? How should I act toward God? That's what we teach our children here. You know, there are a lot of adults who can't even begin to answer those questions, right? 
Lord willing, if you have children in this church, they're learning how to answer those questions. We are in the information age. But what I want to say to you, 99% of what we know, it's analogous to what color the kitchen is. You know, you can go out on Google and you can Google stupid stuff and you get a million hits. I mean, you can Google worthless stuff. I did this one time. You can get like five million hits. I mean, we spend our time on minutiae that doesn't really matter. We're better educated, more knowledgeable, uh, technologically sophisticated than at any time in uh, the history of the world. And we're spending our time on what color the kitchen's going to be. And not on the foundation. So as we get into the text, I want to I want to ask you, beloved, are you preoccupied and fixated with what color the kitchen is or what kind of tile you're going to use in the bathroom or, or what style carpet you're going to have in the living room? Are you, is your life consumed with these matters? Are you focused on God? You know, we talked about it last week. Those who love the world and the things of the world, they are not of God. So what are you giving your affections to? to the Lord or to something secondary, something in the world. Jesus is our foundation and we are to be preoccupied with Him. I love in verse 21, you heard the text read earlier here in verse 21, 1 John chapter 2. I love what God says. He says, John says, I've not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. He's going to talk to us like adults tonight because we're supposed to know the truth. We're not children in here. We're supposed to know the truth. We profess to be Christians. We're supposed to know the truth. And I love it that John says that to us. As we look here in in this text, we see the eighth hallmark of true conversion. I've told you as we got into this this series, you don't have to go talk to your priest or your pastor to find out if you're a Christian. All you got to do is read 1 John. If you look like 1 John, you're a Christian. If you don't look like 1 John, you're not. This is the, the testimony of Scripture. It's the book of assurance. It's a tough book. I'm not talking about sinless perfection. I'm talking about your affections. Are they preeminently set on the Lord or on the things of this world? I won't take the time to go through the the previous seven. If you want to know what the the previous seven hallmarks of true conversion are, just drop me an email. I'll I'll tell you what they are and what verses. Uh, We covered them last week. You can go to the podcast and you can listen to them from last week. I'm not going to take the time to go over them. But the eighth hallmark of true conversion is that the born-again Christian knows the truth. And God tells us in Scripture, we're not merely to be cognitive of the truth. What are we supposed to do with the truth? Someone tell me. Hey, Satan and the demons are cognitive of the truth, right? They're orthodox. They believe everything God says. Everything He says. They're consummate theologians. They just don't feel it. They just don't care. It just doesn't move their hearts. But what is the Word of God supposed to do with God's people? It's supposed to... Pardon me? It's supposed to be... It's supposed to fill up our lives and spill out of our lives. We're supposed to do it. Not just be cognitive of it. 
But do it! That's the true test of authentic biblical Christianity. You know what Jesus said in John 8? If you abide in My Word, you're Mine. If you live in My Word, you do My words, you're Mine. And He said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. You'll be free to be a radical Christian. Not just a churchgoer, but a Christian who actually goes out in the world and makes Jesus famous. That's what Christians are supposed to do. It's the only reason you're on the planet. You know, if it was about worship and fellowship, He would just take you up. He would, it'd be, you know, worship's much better in heaven. <laughs> fellowship with Christ is much better in heaven. He hasn't just left you here to you know, have a career and buy stuff. The Lord allows us to have a career and He allows us to buy stuff, but that's way down the list. We're here to make Jesus famous. We're here to do the Word. This is what the Word of God clearly teaches us. Verses 18 and 19. I couldn't resist. I told you I wasn't going to preach verse by verse. But when I saw verse 18, it flows right out of 17. I had to preach verse 18. What does verse 17 say? The world is what? Someone tell me from the text. The world is passing away. We talked about it last week. This is, this is why the Christian doesn't pursue the world and love the world and give himself to the world and set his affections on the world. Because it's passing away. It's under the wrath of God. We understand that. We know the truth, as John says. We get the truth. We're not going to waste our precious days chasing junk. Truth knowers don't do that. Now, many church members do, but born-again Christians don't. Born-again Christians don't set their heart on the things of the world. Verse 17 says the world is passing away. You get down to verse 18, and it says this is the last hour. It's the last hour. He says it twice in the text. It's the last hour. What does that mean? We know John wrote this 1,922 years ago. What is he talking about? It's the last hour. What is he saying? What is he saying? Let's talk about that just for a minute. How do we know it's the last hour? Now John tells us right there in the verse. There's one reason we know. Someone tell me. What's one reason we know from that verse that we, we know it's the last hour? Anybody tell me from the verse? Nobody wants to tell me. Okay, you guys are shy, right? What does he say? He says, the Antichrist has come. Many Antichrists have come. Those who teach against Christ or those who try to stand in the place of Christ. That's one reason we know it's the last hour. The other reason we know biblically that it's the last hour is this. And I, when I get through reading these texts, I want you to tell me how you're supposed to know it's the last hour. Okay, I'm going to read about four texts and you tell me how you're supposed to know. The first one, Acts 2, 16-17. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be that I will pour out My Spirit on all flesh, God says. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. In many and various ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son. Hebrews 9, 26. Jesus has appeared once for all at the end of the age to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. 1 Peter 1, 20. For Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but He has appeared in the last times for your sake. How do we know that we are in the last days? What does the Bible say? What did you hear me say? What's the sign that this is the last, the last hour? 
Apart from Antichrist, what's the other thing? Jesus. Jesus has come. The Spirit has come and Jesus has come. We're in the last hour. It's been 1,922 years. So how do we understand that? What, is the, what does the Bible tell us? You know, that, that trips some people up. That trips some people up. The Bible tells us that with God, one day is as a thousand years. So if you look at it from God's perspective, we're not even two days into this thing yet. You know, the Bible tells us that many are uh, mock. Second Peter 3, in the last days, uh, mockers will come saying, where is the promise of His coming? And of course, Peter answers that. With God, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. What did Jesus say in Revelation 22? I am coming quickly. How many of you believe Jesus is coming quickly? You know, I, I think the church sometimes falls asleep on this. It's been 1,922 years. He's not, coming, he's not coming quickly. But by God's reckoning, He's coming quickly. How many of you are living like God is coming quickly? How many of you factor that into your noetic structure? How many of you put that into your worldview? My God is coming quickly. How does that impact the way you live Monday through Saturday? Does it? Are you even conscious of it? I know you've probably heard it if you've been around church very long. You know Jesus says He's coming quickly. So how does that impact your life? Are you still looking at what color the kitchen's supposed to be? It's the last hour, beloved. I'm going to get excited tonight. I can tell. It's the last hour. How are you living your life? How are you going to live this last hour? Like the world? Or are you going to make Jesus famous in your orbit? Beloved, there's a lot at stake tonight. I love this text. <laughs> I have to preach this text. I, I love this text. Jesus says, I'm coming quickly. Does your life mock that? Does the way you live, the way you think, the way you prioritize, the way you spend your money, the way you spend your time, the things you do for entertainment, does it mock the fact that God says, I'm coming quickly? Beloved, we need to think about these things. Especially as we live them before our children. It's a big deal. I know most of you don't have children. Some of you in here do have children. God expects you to live like it's the last hour in front of your kids. What that means. You know, the Lord doesn't say these things for no reason. We're supposed to actually hear them and respond to them. This is not just dogma. This is the Word of God. And the fact that Jesus is coming quickly, it's a warning. Again, don't mock the fact that He's coming quickly. We're supposed to have a sense of spiritual urgency. We're supposed to have a conviction about being prepared when He comes. And we're supposed to have an awareness of our spiritual stewardship. Everything in your life is a gift to be used for the glory of Christ. We sang it in the music. You don't just own what you own and have what you have by accident. It's not serendipitous. 
God has given you what He wants you to have that you would be a good steward of it. That you would use it for the glory of Christ in the last hour. <laughs> That's what Christianity is. That's what it is. You remember 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse 28. If you look over there, it says, And now little children abide in the Lord, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from Him in shame. Why would we shrink away from our Lord in shame? Maybe if we've mocked by our life the fact that He said He's coming back quickly. We, we didn't factor that into the noetic structure. It's not in our worldview. It doesn't impact Monday through Saturday. Maybe that would be a clue And as we talked about earlier, verse 18 tells us the other reason we know that this is the last hour many antichrists have arisen. If you have a New King James Version, verse 18, it, it talks about the singular antichrist. It, it uses the definite article and it uses a capital A. The antichrist is coming. You know, John is the only biblical writer who uses this term antichrist. And I'm not going to talk about the Antichrist. What I want to focus on is what John focuses on. He focuses on the many Antichrists who have arisen, um, uh, that have arisen in the last hour. That's what John is focusing on in the text. So what is the Holy Spirit saying to us here about the Antichrist? The, the prefix anti in the Greek has two possible meanings. It means to be against or to stand in the place of. The Antichrist is against Christ or attempts to stand in the place of Christ, most likely in some religious, uh, pseudo-Christian religion. John's emphasis here in verse 18 is to warn us that the spirit of Antichrist is in the world. He's in the world. He is already in the world. In fact, we talked about it last week. 1 John chapter 5, I think it is, 19... Um, says, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies in the power of Satan. We understand that. We're in enemy territory. Beloved, it's a war. It's a, you're supposed to know you're in a war. You're in a spiritual battle. As John MacArthur says, Christianity is not a run through the park with a bouquet of balloons. I know I say that to you a lot, but I love it. <laughs> it's not that. You know, so many people come to Christianity these days, well, what can God do for me? And of course, He does a lot. But beloved, He's called you into discipleship. Even as He has given Himself away to us, He has called you to give yourself away to Him. This is the beautiful symmetry of the Gospel. We know that there are many who deny Christ, either His deity or humanity. It doesn't really matter which one you deny. If you diminish Christ in any way, you are of the spirit of Antichrist. That's why John pins verse 22 and 23. Look what he says. Verse 22, you heard it read earlier. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father, and the Son. We know too that some seek to stand in the place of Jesus. 
false or pseudo-expressions of Christianity. Try to stand in the place of Jesus. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 24.24, For false Christs and false prophets, they will arise and they will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. So the spirit of Antichrist is a spirit of deception. He does whatever he can do to cause confusion about the nature and identity and work of Christ. Some will even uh, say they are Christ. Some of you have heard this. I think Sun Moon claims to be Christ. Every once in a while you'll actually hear some goofball who will say he is Christ. That's pretty rare. But occasionally we do hear that. Most often, most often, we see people just simply attacking the truth of Christ. Um, you know, Sun Moon, he's with the Unification Church. Mary Baker Eddy created Christian Science. Joseph Smith created Mormonism. Charles Russell is the father of Jehovah's Witness. Even Muhammad, who founded Islam. He's building off the, 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 the Old Testament text, and he even talks about Jesus. Jesus is a great prophet. But He denies that He's the Son of God. That is always the spirit of Antichrist, beloved. So there are like 10,001 false expressions out there. I mean, Satan's good at his job. He's good at his job. He likes to create a lot of confusion. This is what John is referring to in verse 19. They went out from us because they were not of us. The unbelievers always leave the sound church. And I'm not saying there's only one sound church. That's not what I'm saying. But the sound church will always preach this. If the, if the church is not preaching this, it ceased to be a, a church in, in, the Christian, uh, in a Christian context. It's this. It's always this. That's the litmus test for the true church. And John said they went out from us. They didn't love the truth. They wanted to make up their own stuff. And how, haven't we seen that? Both Catholic and Protestant. People just making up stuff. <laughs> you can't find it in the Bible anywhere. In fact, many times it runs contrary to Scripture. Hey, Gary, would you turn this off? Many times it runs contrary to Scripture. The true church is always under threat from the outside, but, but the greatest threat is always from the inside. False teachers. False teachers who infiltrate the church. I don't know what it's like where you're from, but it's epidemic in the States. It's an epidemic. You walk in your average Christian bookstore in the States and you have heretics smiling down at you with bestsellers. I hate this. <laughs> I do. I hate this. Guys who have not even close to getting the Word of God right, they're bestsellers. Beloved, it ought not be this way. This shows you how much confusion is even within the context of what the world calls Christendom. You know, for the most part, by and large, 
And Karen gets on to me. She says, Jim, you're always down on the church. You're always down on the, the church at large. All... Listen, I know I only have you guys for a little while, and then you're going to leave. I know that. And man, I want you, I want your antennas to be up. And when you leave here, I want you to go to a church who does this. And if they don't do this, I want you to run from that place. And if they're adding to this or taking away from this, you run. And if you can't find a church that does this, then you start one that does this. You say, Jim, who, me, start a church? Yes, you! It's the last hour. We're not supposed to be playing games here. If you can't find a good church, get with some like-minded believers and start a good church who simply, do, simply does this. This is their authority. Their only authority. They have no other authority. They don't, look, they don't look at what councils and popes and, and uh, you know, conventions say. This is all they care about. So I want to challenge you with that. In the States, it's an epidemic. False teachers are... It's like an avalanche of false teachers and false teaching. If you have the ears to hear, if you're biblically literate, you understand that this is... The truth. The, there's just an escalating defection from God's Word. Many denominations, they have simply left God's Word. They, they, they keep the parts they like and they edit the parts they don't like. Beloved, that's the spirit of Antichrist. If you read one thing in the Bible and your denomination says, oh, well, no, and they push it off or they, they discount that or they have disdain for that, that's the spirit of Antichrist. Get out. Get out. The spirit of Antichrist is at work in that place. Jim, you're being really strong. I know. I know. I think that's what a preacher of the Gospel is supposed to be. Where are you going to hear the truth? Who's going to tell you the truth? You're going to find it on MSN? Or can you Google the truth? Well, I guess there's probably some truth that comes up on Google. Who's going to tell you the truth? Are you going to find it in a fashion mag? Is the TV going to tell you? Who's going to tell you the truth? God is going to tell you the truth. God's going to tell you the truth. Lord willing, a servant who fears God more than he fears anything else or anyone else will tell you the truth. I'm not going to read all these texts, but Christendom is a wash and an ocean of false teachers and false teaching. It's always been this way. 1 Timothy 4.1 God said it would always be this way. He said in the last time some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits, doctrines of demons, uh, by means of hypocrisy, uh, uh, the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience. 2 Timothy 3, 1-5, you guys know this is a famous verse. In the last days men will be lovers of God. What does it say? What does the Bible say? In the last days men will be what? Lovers of self. It is the last days. We've, we've simply discovered from the text tonight. These are the last days. Men are lovers of self. Even many men who stand in pulpits and proclaim falsehoods. I'll get to it in a minute. Yeah, it's the next one. Lovers of self rather than lovers of God. They will hold to a form of godliness although they have denied its power and avoid such men of this as this. Excerpts from 2 Peter 2, 1-18. Listen to this. There will be false teachers who will secretly introduce destructive heresies. That's now. Following after the sensuality. That's now. They'll malign the truth. That's now. They're exploiting you with their false words. That's now. 
They're like unreasoning beasts. They are stains and blemishes upon the body. They entice unstable souls. They forsake the right way. They follow the way of Balaam. Now, what's the way of Balaam? Does anybody know? They do it for the money. They do it for the money. And it's not hard to see. <laughs> Go into your average Christian bookstore. <laughs> it's not hard to see. Not hard to pick out the guys that are doing it for the money. Not hard, not hard, hard to tell at all. God says of such men, their judgment from long ago is not idle and their destruction does not sleep for whom black darkness has been reserved. Beloved, all the New Testament writers, John, Peter, James, Jude, and Paul, they all warned about false teachers. It had already started in the first century and now it's even worse. It's even worse today. It's everywhere. But John says the true believer does not leave the biblically sound church. The false believer will leave the biblically sound church. He hates the truth. We talked about it last week. They went out of us because they they went out from us because they were not of us. But the true believer, he stays in the church. Why? Verse 20, we have an anointing from the Holy One. We have an anointing from the Holy One. Drop down to verse 24. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. What's he talking about this in the beginning? He's simply talking about the Word of God. It's the Word of God. It's the truth from the very beginning. Listen, if somebody comes to you with a new thing, it's wrong. There are no new things when it comes to Jesus Christ and the biblical Gospel. There's not one new thing. It's just the truth from the very beginning. What the apostles taught. That's it. There's one truth. If it's a new truth, it's a lie. It's the spirit of Antichrist. It's one thing that John is clearly saying to us. We're to hold to the original biblical Gospel. The, the Gospel that Jesus spoke and the Gospel that the apostles taught. That's why we don't need councils and creeds Sometimes that's fine. They may say some good things, but if they disagree with this, it, they're from the spirit of Antichrist. I don't care how pretty their robe is. I don't care how impressive their hat is. If it doesn't agree with this, it is the spirit of Antichrist. I'm not going to have your blood on my hands. I'm going to tell you the truth. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Jim. You don't preach very nice. I know. It's the last hour! And I'm convinced that it's the last hour. And I hope you're convinced that it's the last hour. You're supposed to live like it's the last hour. And everyone around you is supposed to know it's the last hour. Why do you live like that? It's the last hour. Well, why do you do that? Why do you refuse to do that? It's the last hour. And I belong to Him. Let me tell you about him. 
<laughs> it's your perfect opportunity <laughs> to witness. It's the last hour, beloved. According to the word of God. And we know the truth as he says here, we have an anointing, verse 20. We, 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 we are anointed, verse 21. We know the truth because God has regenerated our souls. We have the eyes to see, the ears to hear. We understand the truth. We are God's people. We don't understand everything. That's not what I'm saying. But we hear the Spirit. We hear the Spirit. And we understand. If someone begins, you know, sometimes somebody will teach against God's Word. You know, very subtly, you'll hear it. Sometimes, Karen and I, we'll be sitting there and we'll, we'll be visiting some church or something, you know, just we're on vacation or something. And, and a guy will say something and Karen goes, I think that's right. You know, you, can, you, you get the sense of it. You, you can smell it. It's not from God. You're not quite sure sometimes what it is. You have to go study the Bible and find out exactly what it is that was being said that took away from, from the Lord Jesus. Jesus told His disciples that the Holy Spirit will teach you in all things and guide you into all truth. Look at verse 24. He says, he says Abide. Abide in the Son and in the Father. This is the third and fourth time John has said that again. Again, um, we've heard it from the beginning. And from the beginning, um, we're to abide. Again, it's just the truth. It's the original Gospel. It's the Gospel according to Jesus. It's the Gospel according to the Apostles. One Gospel. We're to abide in it. We're to, we're to hold to the, to the Word of God. Second John verse 9 says this, anyone who goes too far, anyone who goes beyond the original, anyone who goes you know, beyond the authentic Gospel, the Gospel Jesus spoke, the Gospel the Apostles wrote about and taught, if anyone goes too far and does not abide in that teaching of Christ, does not have God. It's not hard, beloved. You can go sit in a church maybe one Sunday if it's a false church and you can tell. You can almost always hear it one time. Maybe it'll take two. Maybe they're more subtle. Maybe it'll take ten. I don't know. But you can almost always hear it. If it's not God-centered and Scripture-centered, you can almost always discern it. He says the one that goes too far, that adds to or subtracts from, he has both. he does not have the Father and he does not have the Son. Verse 27. Look at verse 27. You have an anointing. You've received it um, from the Lord. You have no need for anyone to teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about all things. The Holy Spirit is our ultimate teacher. He's not saying that you don't need human teachers. That's not what He's saying. He's saying you don't need human teaching. We know, you know the Bible always interprets the Bible. This is where people get messed up. We know that he's not saying we don't need human teachers. What does 1 Corinthians 12.28 uh, 12, tell us? That teachers are a gift to the church. So we understand what's being said here. We understand what's being said. We don't need human teaching or non-biblical teaching. So the work of the Holy Spirit takes us deeply into 
what was from the beginning. The simple Gospel that Jesus taught. You know, you got to be biblically knowledgeable. you got to be able to do theology. You know, biblical literacy in the modern church is really quite unimpressive. And I know we have some good Bible students in, in here. I know you guys are, uh, and you're supposed to be. You're supposed to know what God says. It's the last hour. <laughs> you're supposed to know this stuff. You're supposed to be able to do theology. You're supposed to know your doctrine. You're supposed to know it. It's the last hour. It is the last hour. You know, sometimes you just have to, we, we were in men's Bible study this, this week, and I, you know, you, sometimes you just have to sweat all over the text. You say, Lord, I don't get this, but just keep working, keep praying, keep sweating over the text. The Holy Spirit will teach you. This is what we're called to do. The Holy Spirit tells us in 1 John 4.1, it says, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits and see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. I've said this many times in this church, and uh, maybe you've never heard me say it, but you can hear me say it tonight. Most of what is called Christendom in, in the modern era is apostate. It's apostate. It either uh, adds to the original, what we had from the beginning. It either adds to what we had from the beginning, or it takes away from what we had in the beginning. That is apostate. That is apostate. That's falling away from the truth. It's a denial of the truth. It's the spirit of Antichrist. Any church you're in, if they're adding to what was from the beginning... It's the spirit of Antichrist. If they're taking away what was from the beginning, it's the spirit of Antichrist. It's, it's really... I know it's a hard thing to say, but it's not that difficult a concept. Many denominations simply have moved away from Scripture, except for the parts they like. So they use those parts but they don't teach the hard stuff. They don't teach the things they have a problem with, the things that they disagree with. Can you imagine the arrogance of a man saying, I reject this? The man who puts himself over God's Word. And he says, well, this is from God, but this one's not. Can you imagine the arrogance? You know, it's like saying, well, we believe in God, but He's a pathetic little God. He can't really even maintain the integrity of His Word to His people. Men got in there and they messed it all up. He's a pathetic God. Beloved, this is a most egregious backhanded insult. For anyone to say, well, we don't believe that that, that particular verse is divinely inspired. We believe that Paul just had a bias. We believe John had a bias. It's pathetic. And men get away with it because, you know, people want to hear what they want to hear, right? <laughs> people want to hear what they want to hear. So, you internationals, I'm about done. I don't think it's been too bad tonight as far as time. You internationals, you always come, 
We fall in love with you, then you leave. You know I'm going to say it. You never call. You never write. You break our hearts. But many of you, many of you tell us that you've been changed here. And this is why we do what we do. (laughs) We're not going to get famous here. We're not going to get rich here. It's this little bitty corner of the world. I remember telling Karen when I was in seminary, there's going to be a little bitty corner of the world where we can preach the truth and people will hear it. And that's what we do. I mean, that's what ICM is. But sometimes you tell us, I'm leaving stronger. I can't go back to the church I used to go to. They don't preach from the Bible. They don't speak the truth. They've added a bunch of junk into it or they've taken away a bunch of junk. I can't go back. And I always have the same response. Well, praise God that He's he's changed you here. So here's what you do. Go back to your old church and seek to reform it if you can. But what I want to say to you, I've never seen the church, a church reformed from the pew. I've never seen it. A church can be reformed from the pulpit. I've never seen a church reformed from the pew. It's not saying God can't do it. Of course He can do it. It's hard. If the pulpit is corrupt, it's hard. It's really hard. But if you can't, you know, if you can't reform it, then go find a Bible church. And as I said to you earlier, if you can't find a Bible church, then start a church. It's the last hour, beloved. It's your job. It's your job. If you can't find a good church where you live, start one. Find some like-minded believers and start one. John says he's not writing to us because we do not know the truth, but because we do know it. And because we do know it, God says, I want my people to stand on it. I want my people to speak it. I want my people to live it. I I want my people to to fight for it. To fight the good fight. I want my people... Oh, get this, modern Christian. I want my people to sacrifice for it. Man, you don't hear that very often (laughs) anymore. Sacrifice for God and His Word. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. How many of you have made a sacrifice for God and His Word that you can actually remember? I'm not trying to put you on a guilt trip, man. I'm trying to set you free. It's the last hour. What are you waiting for? (laughs) What are you waiting for? God means for you to be fearless and courageous in the world. Making Jesus famous. I pray... That making Jesus famous, that being a radical disciple, that being a, a doer of Hebrews 11, I pray that that's part of your noetic structure. <laughs> I pray that that's going on Monday through Saturday. Beloved, maybe some of us in here need to repent tonight. Maybe we need to repent from our lackadaisical attitude about our faith. Maybe we, maybe we need to repent about not understanding the urgency of the last hour. Maybe we've been sloppy. Maybe we've been lazy. I don't know. Maybe some of us need to repent. That's okay. Repent's a good word. Your whole life as a Christian is, is repenting. You know, you, you, you keep running into your own sin and, 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 and where you've, you've not obeyed the Lord and, and it's time to repent. And if you've been lukewarm, if you've left your first love, as we, as we talked about last week, 
Repent. 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 We're going to take just a minute. Be quiet. Be still. Just you right there in your chair. Whatever you want to pray about, pray about. Uh, If you've got things you need to talk to the Lord about, just you do that. I'm going to give you just a minute or two, and then we will close with a word of prayer.